We'll turn the word of God then to to Samuel, the second book of Samuel, and to chapter 6. So I want to particularly think this morning about the blessing of God in the house of Obed-Edom. So we find from verse 9 that David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. So if we consider uh, what happens here, we know that David was uh, much uh, afraid because of the breach of God against Utzah. We've seen this already in our studies in 2 Samuel and how that this man, even though uh, he had a right to be with the ark because he was a Levite and indeed a, a Kohathite, uh, the Kohathites were those who had been stipulated by God to carry the ark. So the staves were to be put in, and if you uh, have any understanding of the ark, it was a, a, a box, uh, and it had two places for two long staves to go into, and then the ark was to be covered so that no one could see it. Uh, it wasn't to be touched by anybody, even the Kohathites, except the priests. The priests themselves were the ones who were to cover the ark over and to prepare it and put the staves in. And then the Kohathites, who were also Levites, were to come and to pick up the ark and were to carry it with the staves. The problem here, of course, was that instead of going by what God had taught them, they had gone by uh, some other directive. And perhaps they had been uh, moved upon by the way that the Gentiles had done things. So the Philistines, when uh, God had caused the idols of Dagon to fall, uh, they asked their wise men how they might return the ark to Israel. And they had been advised to take a new cart and to put the ark on a new cart and to set two milk cows uh, with calves. They said, take away their calves and put somewhere else and then send the cart with these milk cows or milk kine. And if they continued down the road toward Beth Shemesh, uh, which was a city of the priests, then they would know that God had afflicted them. But of course, naturally, the cows would return and come back to their calves. They didn't do that. They carried on down the road. They went to Beth Shemesh and they brought the cart with them. And David is following that same uh, teaching really Uh, he is thinking well it came up to here on a cart and we will bring it up to Jerusalem on a cart you see sometimes we think that first of all we have to get things into the proper position and then we can begin to worship it's very similar isn't it in salvation itself that, that people very often think that what you need to do is to change your life if you want to be a Christian What we need to do is to change our lives, get rid of all of our sins, uh, change our attitudes towards the world. And if we're a better person, then I will start to worship God. Let me get everything right first. 
So the errors of my life, the sins which are there, the corruptions, the things perhaps which we ought not to have, things perhaps which we have stolen, think we ought to give them back, that all that needs to be done first. If we can get ourselves sorted out, if we can get ourselves right, then God will accept us and we can worship him. There seems to be a similar kind of a a thought here, that David is not worshipping the Lord where the ark is, but he is saying, right, well, first of all, before we can really worship the Lord, we need to get the ark up to Zion. We need to bring it up to where it needs to go, into the habitation that I've prepared. Once we have done all that, then we can worship him. But that's not the way the Lord works. We are to come to him first. It is the Lord who gives us that change of heart. It is the Lord who gives us strength to repent. And we call upon his name in our weakness, in our sinfulness. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. We don't have to be right. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to have a a right way of living before we come to Christ. We come to Christ first in the midst of whatever degradation we may be. And even those in the, in the very pits of uncleanness can cry unto the Lord for salvation. And the Lord will bring them out of that miry clay and set their feet upon a rock. David wants to have everything right before he begins the worship of God. He wants to get these things done. We read together from Psalm 132. And we see that David goes back to, to his own oath. We looked at oaths a few weeks ago from Matthew chapter 5. But David made an oath. He vowed a vow. And he intends to keep that vow. In Psalm 132 then, it begins in this way in verse 1, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he sware unto the Lord and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob, Surely I will not come into thy tabernacle of into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. And here uh, he is speaking of the ark. He is speaking about that which represents the presence of the Lord. Uh, there is the ark, this box of, of acacia wood, shittim wood, as the scripture calls it, and uh, overlaid with gold. Uh, in the ark is the, uh, are the Ten Commandments, uh, the uh, rod which budded, and upon it there is the mercy seat, this flat plate with two uh, cherubim looking down upon the mercy seat. And it was there above the mercy seat that God said that his glory would be. And so here is this ark. It is a representation in some ways of the presence of the Lord. And David says that he will not give sleep to his eyes nor slumber to his eyelids until he finds out a place of the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. Perhaps there is a a slight problem here even in David's thinking. Perhaps there is a slight problem in the, in the way that, that things become gods. Uh, I've told you before of, the, of my own experience where I used to wear a gold cross around my neck and, and forgot it once t- one time when I was going swimming and, and then I was fearful I might drown because I'd, I'd forgotten to put it on that morning. I never wore it again after that. I, that's idolatry. That's superstition. And... 
we can make anything idolatry or superstition. Even coming to church, we can think, well, if I go to church, that's me. I'm, I'm set up with God. But the communion is a spiritual communion. God is a spirit, and he seeks those to worship him who will worship him in spirit and in truth, actually worshiping the Lord. So this, this box, he has said, I will find out a place for the Lord. The Lord says, where is the house that you will build me? Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. You can't confine me to a house. You can't put me in a temple or in a tent. If I uh, am pleased to manifest myself there, that's one thing. But nevertheless, we go on in that psalm in verse 6. And it says, lo, we heard of it at Ephrata. Ephrata is where David came from. He heard about the Ark of the Covenant. He heard how that the Ark had been taken, of course, from the temple in the days of Eli. And how it had been taken into battle. How it had been taken away by the Philistines. Perhaps how it had come back uh, to Beth Shemesh from the Philistines. How the Beth Shemites, who had sought to look into the Ark, had been slain in a great multitude. And how that it had now come into this house of Abinadab. Uh, how uh, Eliezer uh, was the custodian of it. And we saw last Lord's Day how that Eliezer, Eliezer being very similar uh, and the same meaning of the word Atza, could easily be the same person. But he heard of it in Ephrata, and it says we found it in the field of the woods. Where the ark was kept was a place which is called the city of the woods. And so he is saying, we found it. It is in the fields of the woods. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstools. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. And so David's great desire is to bring the ark up to Zion. Zion, that place, that, that, that fortress at the, at the base of, of Mount Moriah, where Abraham had taken Isaac to slay him. When the Lord had said, take thy son, thine only son, Isaac, and offer him up a burnt offering unto me. And so he seeks to take this and he doesn't do it in the way that the Lord has said. He wants to get things right first. And so David takes the ark then and he says, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. We were saying that the Gittite is someone who uh, is from or about Gath. Gath, of course, was a Philistine city, but Gath also means a wine press. It could be that that was what uh, the, that, um, this man, Obed-Edom, uh, worked at a wine press uh, in that region. It could be that the word the Gittite is, is specific because it was from Gath that the ark had first come up. And so there's a kind of play on words. You know, the, the scripture is, is so interwoven that there are so many things that we can learn. Sometimes just reading the word of God and particularly when you begin to study it, it's almost overwhelming. What can you bring from this? How can you put it in order and bring out the teachings of the word of God? But here we find that it goes into the house of Obed-Edom and that God blesses the house of Obed-Edom. Now a terrible calamity had just befallen them. Just before this, Adzar had been smitten down by the Lord. 
the Lord had broken forth and slain the man who dared to put forth his hand and touch the ark of God. It's specifically said in the Old Testament that those who were to uh, carry the ark, which is the Kohathites, were not to touch it. They were not allowed to touch it. They were only allowed to pick it up by its staves and carry it. Urza puts forth his hand. It is rocking. It's not even told uh, whether it was covered. Perhaps it was out there in full display uh, so that everybody could see because this was the great triumph of David to bring up the ark of God into Zion. We don't know that. But nevertheless, here uh, comes this ark and it has been brought into the house of Obed-Edom. When we see this then, we see first of all the manifestation of the blessing of God. It was an evident blessing upon the house of Obed-Edom. Something had changed in the house of Obed-Edom. It was only there for three months and yet news comes to David that God has blessed the house of Obed-Edom because of the ark. Verse 12, it was told King David saying the Lord had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So something had changed. And the first thing we need to note here is that the the house of Obed-Edom was being watched, that people were particularly looking. And and we have to remember that if if we are a, a Christian, if we are someone who professes the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are being watched. People are observing us. They want to see us fall. They want to see us fail. It comforts them to think that if Christians fail, then they're not so bad and they don't need to be Christians. I was reading someone who was uh, gloating uh, on the internet. I was reading on the internet. They weren't gloating on the internet. But they were gloating over a Christian who was on their deathbed and who was fearful for her granddaughter. And she was uh, lamenting in those last days of her life. And uh, the person who was writing this was saying, well, I'm glad that I'm not a Christian so that when the day I die, I won't be worried about hell. And you see, the, the, the world is watching us. No doubt that woman, if she was careful and fearful for a granddaughter that she would be going to hell, was also fearful and careful for the the woman who was with her, this unbeliever. But what they see is because they are watching, and they are watching for failings, and they are watching for weaknesses. What they should be seeing in the life of the child of God is blessing, joy, and peace. How do we maintain such joy and peace? Well, it is by our fellowship with God. And that's exactly what Obed-Edom has here. Here is the ark of the Lord in his house. And see the grace of God as well. So often the, the smiting of God is sharp. It is one smiting and then there is a reconciliation. We often think about uh, disciplining children. And sometimes the discipline of children can go on for far too long. There needs to be an immediate discipline and then there needs to be the, the, the uh, embracing of the child. Let's go on now. That's dealt with. And that's how the Lord deals with them here. Ertzer is smitten, certainly, 
and he loses his life. That's not to say necessarily he was lost and was cast into hell. He could uh, so easily have been smitten by the Lord and taken straight to heaven. The point was that God was teaching a lesson here, and David was the one who needed to learn it, and all the people around about. And we remember how that there was a great revival after this. Once David became king, and how they uh, subdued all the nations round about, and how the people all flocked in toward David and supported David in those early days. For us too, there needs to be this blessing. The Lord promised a blessing to those who would walk with him. Deuteronomy 28, 2, All these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, and blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shalt thou be when thou comest in, and blessed shalt thou be when thou goest out. And here, Obedidim is being watched because the ark has come in. Hutzel was killed. I mean, after all, everybody's going to be looking now to see what happens. And they're watching Obed-Edom and suddenly they begin to see that there is a blessing upon him which wasn't there before. So it should be, of course, with the child of God, a blessing which wasn't there before, a joy that wasn't there before. And not only a joy in this instance, but there is a, a, an enriching of his house, it seems. And if, as we have suggested, he was a man who, was, who worked on the, uh, the winepress... Perhaps there was a, a great blessing in the field, as we just read there from Deuteronomy 28.5, Blessed shalt thou be in the field. Maybe there was a greater crop than, than they were expecting. Maybe there was a, a greater willingness of those to come and tread out the grapes. Maybe it was a, a, a greater vintage than they'd ever seen before of grapes that year. Maybe there were so many different blessings which we cannot begin to look into for they are not recorded for us. But we know this, that those who watched him could see that there was a great difference and it occurred for three months. Three, it doesn't seem very long, three months, does it? But what God can do in three months is incredible. I was just thinking uh, as I was considering this, the, the great um, revival in Wales course there have been lots of revivals we could go through uh, many of them and, and talk about similar things but the revival in Wales and there uh, Evan Roberts was the the preacher in those days a man who sought God and prayed that there might be a revival who we are told had this kind of a vision of a hundred thousand souls coming to Christ in Wales and indeed after a, a couple of months that came to pass it's reckoned 100,000 and throughout the United Kingdom because the blessing spread and it can indeed spread, in, spread into Europe and North America. But those blessings which came and Evan Roberts saw the beginning of this in 1904. In 1906, just two years later, I'm not sure how many months, uh, whether it was a full two years or not, but uh, in 1906, he uh, succumbed to an exhaustion he was taking so many meetings in so many places and he suffered from depression afterwards but what God could do in those two years 100,000 people just in Wales and the, the stories of course which uh, surrounded how the pit ponies uh, didn't understand the instructions anymore because they were so used to being sworn at by the by the miners 
That's what they understood. Of course, they didn't understand what the words meant. They just understood the tone. They understood uh, the sounds which were made and they stopped using those words and the pit ponies didn't know what to do. And so many of the, the blessings of the law came in that tiny, tiny time of, of two years. Well, what blessing can be brought forth in those things? And it's an extended blessing, isn't it? It's not just Obed-Edom here, but it is Obed-Edom and all his household. When we know the blessing of the Lord in our hearts, it blesses the household. It blesses all around you. And, and the, the power of God can be seen. We need to know this blessedness. And the ark of the Lord, of course, uh, represents the, the presence of the Lord there. And God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. But it was an enriching blessing too. Enriching to David. David was afraid of the Lord. We read in verse 9. He was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. This must have been a terrible grief to him. We've just read from the psalm. We've read it twice now. How that David had made this oath and sworn unto the Lord that he would, he, he would make a tabernacle for the Lord, that he would bring him up to that place uh, of his uh, of his dwelling it had been his purpose it had been his desire and now he's in a position to do it because Zion was in the territory of Benjamin Saul had been a Benjamite Saul had been trying to kill David he couldn't go up and fight against Zion at that time and even those uh, Jebusites who who dwelt in the in the uh, fortress or castle of Zion said well we'll chase you away with the blind and the lame you've got no chance of coming in here but David took the stronghold of Zion and now he's bringing up the ark of the Lord to the stronghold of Zion. And just as he's doing all of these things, as he had vowed before God that he would do and he believes that God is with him, God smites Urzah. And David is afraid. It must have come as a terrible shock to him. That just as he thought everything was coming together, just as he had been accepted by the whole of Israel. This shepherd boy who his father didn't even think of to bring him in when Samuel was looking for him. And all his brothers were brought before Samuel. And Samuel had to actually inquire, well, is, is there no other son? Because God's not chosen any of these. And, uh, and Jesse says, well, I've got one more, but I've got a boy out on the hills looking after the sheep. He was despised and yet the Lord chose him. And, and all of, through his life, how he had, been, he had been fought against, how he had been resisted, how it seemed that nothing was ever going to come to, to fruition of that blessing which God had put upon him. And now everything has happened. The Israel, whole of Israel had accepted him as king. He has, been, uh, he has been anointed over all the tribes and not just over Judah. And then... He, he fights against Zion and he's able to take it, this stronghold, which had never been taken. And, and the Philistines came up and fought against him and he sought the Lord, inquired of the Lord. And the Lord said, go up and I will deliver them into your hand. And then he says, go round behind them, wait for the sound in the mulberry trees and I will fight for you. 
Everything was going right. And he's just bringing up the ark now. And everything has come to this great fruition. And what, what a wonderful thing it's going to be. And then God smites Uzzah. David's afraid. Now what do I do? But he sees now the blessing of God on the house of Obed-Edom. And when he sees that blessing, he knows that the Lord's anger is but for a moment. That his Lord's anger broke forth in that moment. There was a lesson to learn. Just a couple of verses from Scripture. Isaiah 44 and verse 21. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel. For thou art my servant. I have formed thee. Thou art my servant, O Israel. Thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. You see, the judgment of God coming upon the child of God doesn't necessarily mean that that's the end of everything and we just go wander off and God's rejected us. It's a chastisement. And as a child, after being told off, desires uh, for uh, some comfort from a parent and my own uh, grandsons I've seen this on many occasions Uh, and after they've been um, told off they'll come and they'll say I want a huggle or a cuddle and they come back for a cuddle they want to be comforted they know that they have done wrong they know that they have been displeased with but they don't not ever come back they desire that comfort And the Lord is ready to give that comfort. And I think that's why Obed-Edom is blessed in such a way that people looking upon him could see God's blessing. So that David would know that the judgment of God had come upon him because he had done wrong. But now he needs to do it right. And God wasn't saying, I'm not going up up to Zion. But he was saying, just do it properly. Just remember who I am. Just remember who you are. And I may love you. But just as a child with their father, the father might love them. It doesn't mean that he's going to do just what the child says. There needs to be a respect. The child should respect their father and their mother. And the Lord says, you respect me. You remember just who I am and who you are. You remember your place. And David now, as he sees the blessing of God on the house of Obed-Edom, knows that the blessing of God is still there. The Lord is still amongst them. And so he comes down now to take that ark up to Jerusalem. This time he's going to do it right. We'll look at something concerning that this evening. But it could be that we don't recognize the blessing of God. We don't recognize that the Lord says, return unto me. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, we read, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. It's a similar thing, isn't it? How that the Lord says, I formed thee, thou art my servant, O Israel, thou shalt not be forgotten of me. I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. I, I don't change. If I have called you, if you are mine, then you are mine. And I may chastise you. And I might beat you with stripes. But I will not forget you and I will not cast you off. Our motto this year, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
But the Lord continues, For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances, and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Oh, how we should give our hearts to the Lord. Wherein shall we return? The Lord says, Solomon says, but the Lord speaks through Solomon and says, My son, give me thine heart. My son, give me thine heart. How hard it is for us to give him our heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who shall know it? But we are to give it to the Lord. The judgment of God then comes upon David. The blessing follows and the Lord says, return unto me. And this again occurs in the New Testament. It occurred to me in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 11. David, chast- uh, I mean, Paul had chastised the church of Corinth because there was someone amongst them who had gone into his father's wife. And uh, this fornication, this um, adultery was going on within the church and nobody seemed to bat an eyelid uh, that this should come in amongst them. And David uh, tore strips off them because of it and said, this man needs to be put out until he learns. He needs to know the judgment of God. And then he writes to them in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 11 and he says, For behold this selfsame thing, that ye sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. They purposed in their hearts to put it right, and David purposes in his heart also to put it right. And he speaks to the priests and the Levites. And he said, you didn't sanctify yourselves. You didn't do it right. We didn't do it right. He actually uses the term, we didn't do it right. Sanctify yourselves. Separate yourselves. Let's do this properly. And so he repents and he returns. And this time, when he brings up the ark of God, he does it in the Lord's way. What wonderful words they are that we read in Psalm 23 and verse 3. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Well, the Lord will restore. And he seeks to restore your soul. If you have departed from him, if you at some point in the past have said unto the Lord, Lord, be my savior, deliver me from my sin. And you feel that you are far from him now, then receive the rebuke from the Lord and return unto him. For he says, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. Amen. May the Lord bless these thoughts to our hearts this day, and may he be glorified, and that we might be blessed.